Welcome to the Metrology Today podcast. My name is Ryan Egbert and I'm your host today. On the show today, we have Henry Zumbrun. You met him a few episodes back. He's the president of Morehouse Force. Although this time around, we're here to talk all about force and force measurements. He's also on the podcast today to promote a few training events coming up this month. First, on the 17th of February, 2021, Henry will be giving a four-hour short course on the force on force calibration basics online through the NCSL International Technical Exchange. You can find out more at ncsli.org. Then on February 23rd at 10 a.m. Eastern, Henry will be offering a free introduction to force calibration webinar. This will be a two-part series with part one being on the 23rd and part two on the 2nd of March. You can find the links to the webinars on any of the Morehouse Force social media accounts, like Henry's LinkedIn account. Lastly, I just wanted to, a little personal note to all of you, uh, just wanted to let you know that originally we had planned about one, maybe two podcast episodes a month. But after the recent influx of support from all of you out there, we've decided to start booking more podcasts for the near future. All I ask is for you to keep listening, keep spreading the word, and please, feedback is great if you have any ideas for guests or topics that might be interesting to you, and I promise I'll keep trying to do better at interviewing these people. And for the time being, all correspondence that you want to have with the podcast, whether it's feedback or ideas, please direct that to information at signcalibration.com. And without further ado, Let's get to this episode of the podcast with Henry. Thank you for listening. Henry, again, welcome back to the podcast. Glad to have you. Uh, last time was more of an introduction. We did talk about a few things, uh, you know, calibration wise, but it was more of a, uh, like I said, like an introduction to you guys at Morehouse. This time we're going to get down to business a little bit more, right? Yeah. Um, so you guys have a lot of training stuff coming up, and that's that's a passion of yours. That's obviously a passion of ours at the school. Um, we've been we've known each other for almost two years now. What have you seen? And as you're creating new training material, what is the new direction that you guys are going? What are some of the things that you've seen in the students and and some of the training that you've been doing over the last couple of years? That you've put into the new stuff oh yeah that's a great question so twofold uh this year we we started a back to basics we're calling it uh it's a series of 10 10 blogs or articles that'll show up every two weeks on linkedin and uh also facebook and whatever other social media promotes it we're, we're putting it in, in on our, our blog and on linkedin and what we really realized uh through a discussion with you ryan was that you know we're not covering the basics well enough a lot of these people that attend our class we're assuming that they know everything so what we decided it was we were going to do a back to basics and then that led that not only did that lead to the articles that led to creating some training content hey maybe people don't fully understand measurement traceability measurement uncertainty maybe they don't know what a load so is we're making the assumption they know what a transducer is they know how to calibrate that so really going back to the uh the beginner level and creating content that's you know don't want to say dumbed down but content on a level that 
is very easily to digest or at least gives people the foundational blocks to start understanding some of the other high level concept stuff that that we were talking about like uncertainties and you know if you don't understand the basics you're going to be completely lost once you get to uh uncertainties so that's really we had a discussion uh you and i had a discussion and it's like yeah that makes a lot of sense to do that and then as we work through this we're like hey let's create let's create this content uh right now let's for those that are out there, we're still dealing in a COVID environment. People are still, you know, in their offices for the most part or at home that they can digest and maybe they can learn some of the beginner stuff. In addition to that, we're working on a more thorough beginner course for sign calibration uh, of, of different modules and segments. So this is this is just uh, the ones that are coming up are just scratching the surface as far as content and, you know, that type of beginner level stuff just uh, for, for those that want, you know, maybe they just want to brush up you know right there, there's well, things know, there for everyone you know what's interesting about force it, and it's not one of those things that is taught even in the the female schoolhouses you know where i came from they didn't go through i mean they did torque but they didn't go through like practice calibrations or uh, any type of standards with force calibration. So I feel like that area that that discipline is one that maybe isn't touched or people aren't as formally educated in as other disciplines they they might be in right and and a lot of it they don't they don't realize of what what happens so we talk about i mean it really it's it's i, I laugh because it's challenging to write something right you're right. always talking with people in industry that you assume know exactly what you're talking about so the conversation levels a bit different you know than when when you start trying to go back to the, the beginner and you want to use words that you're like oh i can't use this word Right. Because right. people may not understand it. So that's 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 part of a challenge is, is making sure everybody's speaking the same language and, and trying to get out of the, you know, metrology speak and more into a down to earth speak. And, right. and when we when we start looking at force, it's really interesting as far as what it people don't put it together a lot of times, you know, I was laughing. Uh, one of the things, you know, like uh, Ron Copeel, late night commercials and all, yeah, all yeah, that yeah. stuff, the pocket <laughs> fisherman. Well, you know, that was such a gimmicky thing though. Even that, even on like something like the pocket fisherman, that line needs tested. Someone's got a, you know, or, or general fishing line for those that fish. Someone has to test that. That's all related to force, you know, just, just putting Peeling things off containers, that's force. Apples, the ripeness of apples. You know, if you have an apple that's, you want to you check the ripeness of apples and, and an apple is softer, you're going to distribute that locally. The harder apples you might put on a truck and send, send east. So force is used and the measurement of force is used almost everywhere. And people just do not put it together on, on the common things. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure not many people are thinking, oh, yeah, people are testing apples. I mean, more commonly, mm -hmm. they're saying, oh, they're doing, you know, tensile testing, rebar testing, all kinds of other testing to, to ensure the bridges we drive on don't collapse, right? right. You know, Pre-stress, post-tension. When we get these measurements wrong, bad things happen. So it's, it's, it goes with aligning, you know, to, to create a safer world through educating people on, on what matters. And, and, and that's where we, that's where we are. And that's where we're trying to get back to the basics, just to get that foundational piece uh, for all those that may not have it, may not realize it, yeah. why the measurement of force is so important. Right. And, and uh, maybe haven't seen 
the effects of just a small little error or uh, a little gap in between, you know, your, your plates that you're measuring, you know, like what, what are those that are the, uh, the force indicators that are like the chitillions or whatever the, Oh uh, yeah. The, the handheld force, handheld force. Yeah. Like the like hand the, handheld yeah. ones, you know, uh, there's right. people that don't understand that if those aren't flush, you know, those aren't like you say, mm-hmm. uh, plum level, square rigid all those things you know because i've seen as small as a 10 like a little 10 degree shift in how they align will throw off the measurement completely oh yeah so sensitivity just just in the in that keeping the 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 load free from eccentric forces and that's that's key uh hopefully we can get into some adapter speak because you can get everything right someone can buy the best equipment best instrumentation and then they send it to the calibration laboratory and say please calibrate without any instructions mm-hmm. now now we're supposed to as a calibration laboratory call the customer and have the discussion and that doesn't always happen i right. mean i think you know in, in industry sometimes someone else is uh, you're dealing with a purchasing officer that can't mm-hmm. get to the end person or this other so it's it, it creates a challenge to actually Actually speak to the end user sometimes depending on the corporate structure and who you're dealing with right. uh, though what you're speaking of with s-beam load cells loading conditions is huge am i going to engage the top and bottom thread am i going to engage just the top am i going to load it flat on flat surfaces and if i have any time type of uh, misalignment or side load i'm going to get a large cosine error which basically basically means i'm going to get an output that's not what somebody else is going to get if they if they do align it so in the lab, we may be using the proper fixturing to get everything perfect, get that, that line of force pure. And then in the field, somebody's just throwing it in a machine somewhere and they're off center. And that off center produces an error of 0.7% when they think their device is good to 0.1. So right. these, these are things that happen every day and people are none the wiser. They just stick it in the machine, make the measurements, go out, put a sticker on it and mm-hmm. they're done. So we're, yeah, educating people on what matters. Uh, you're spending the time to do it anyway. You might as well do it right as right. it's is my opinion. Oh yeah. And, and you bring up adapters. Let's go into it. Cause I got a few messages after your last podcast where we were talking about the threaded rod. And that was, I told you that, that there were going to be people that, that were like, oops, yeah, we're using threaded rod sometimes. Um, a lot of our, our listeners are students of the school. They might not understand that, or maybe it just, the, the full, you know, that, um, that realization that these small errors that I put in that are our components of uncertainty are actually changing, like you said, the accuracy of the device that you're using. They, they sometimes are thinking, well, hey, I'm taking this thing out and it's accurate to this decimal place, you know, as per the, the manufacturer, but they're not using it in a way that's going to actually give that accuracy. And I think that's where the disconnect is. You know, they're just trying to make things happen, trying to make measurements out there using threaded rod, using whatever they can, because the customer might, might not be set up for that test. You might not have the stuff you need for that test. So let's talk about those adapters. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great topic. So on on that one, as you said, like I d- discussed earlier, it, it's all about alignment, right? ISO three seventy six addresses it in the annex. Uh, that is a, a basically a, a European standard. AS, mm-hmm. Over over in an, the U.S., we have ASTM standards, right? 
uh, in more in Europe, there's the standard is ISO 376, which is used for calibration in accordance with ISO 7500, meaning that if I want to go out and, and test the machine that's testing, you know, calibrate the machine and verify the machine that's doing the fishing line, I have to use uh, the standard 7500. I have to use uh, equipment that's calibrated in accordance with ISO 376. Here in the States, it's E4 and E74. So if I'm going to go out and calibrate a, a machine that's doing the fishing line again, I'm going to follow the, the E7, E4 practice, but the E4 practice says I have to have my equipment calibrated to E74. So that long explanation is basically saying there are standards out there. The, the two standards, the, the big standards for force are ASTM E74 and ISO 376. The rest of the world's mostly using ISO 376. 76, which has a really good annex that defines adapters, uh, ball cuts, ball cups, ball nuts, mm -hmm. everything that's needed to basically align the force. What the standard does not do, though, is it does not replace that conversation with the customer. So you're the Cal Lab, Ryan. You send me a S-beam load cell and say, hey, Morehouse knows what they're doing. Please calibrate. Yes, Morehouse knows exactly what they're doing. And we're going to call you back and say, hey, Ryan, how do you use this thing? Do you have any? And you're going to say, hey, that's where we're going to try to get the information of flat on flat or if you're using it threaded. Now, an S-beam load cell, for those we talked about threaded rod, somebody has threaded rod. They usually use that, in my experience, they usually use that intention. So they're going to put threaded rod in the load cell, right. put it in a machine try to calibrate it with whatever they're using, hydraulics, weights, what, whatever they're using. They're going to they're gonna put it in a machine, they're going to pull on it and tension. Now they're going to switch to compression. When they switch to compression, they're usually going to load flat on flat, or maybe they might thread something in the top. So if those that are following, the, the problem here is these are very different loading conditions. And the way those load cells are designed, the S-beams particular, is if I'm loading through the threads in tension, and I load those through the threads in compression, mean the you know put the push going back to base tensions a pull, compressions a push, and I load those through the threads in compression. I'm going to get a much different output than if I load flat on flat. So not only do we have adapters, we actually have loading conditions. So circle back to the adapters on the adapter side. Threaded rod may not be straight, and that's where people get. You know, you know, they buy something from a hardware, not even a hardware store. You, you buy some threaded rod online. It comes right. You, you really have to do that. Uh, the, the testing to make sure that that rod is is straight and the standards, the ISO 376 standards going to reject it based on the fact that, you know, they're recommending adapters with almost ball sockets. You know, ball so oh. sockets will help find help that line of force, uh, help center the equipment and help find that line of force. So if you're not doing that, if you do not have direct force transfer and, and you know, a distorted line of force, you're going to get, you're going to get different outputs. And, and typically it can be, uh, it can be a lot less uh, deflection, or it can also be more deflection depending on, on how it's engaging that material right. and, and how the, how the equipment is uh, gauged. So what are the main differences? You, you mentioned both of those standards that are primarily used. Now, yeah. if we're, if we're talking to a brand new technician or someone that's, you know, going to be focusing in force down the road, you know, cause they'll have that ability in our, in our certification, would you recommend them knowing both of them pretty well? You know, is that something that, cause I know most labs, 
they don't even pull that stuff out. They just have procedures, you know, that are adapted from something, you know, as a technician coming in, should you really go above and beyond and know those things, even if your lab doesn't have them? Possibly. I love the I love the question because yes, the, the lab's going to write procedures. Often they're not going to follow best practices. They're going to follow what's what's profit driven. You know, somebody sends me that S beam load cell, I can do five calibration points instead of ten throughout its range, and I can give I can give some numbers. Maybe I take one run of data and give some numbers. I can report a nonlinearity. I can report whatever whatever other things someone someone may want to know. And nonlinearity is just the the deviation from linear behavior. Uh, I right. can report. I can report something along those lines, and then the assumption is the end user can go use this. It tells you nothing about the expected performance of that device. So, I like the both of the both of the standards are similar, but they draw distinction in that ISO three seventy six requires a lot more test points and has a lot more as far as uh, the uncertainty calculations, uh, mm. such as just repeatability without moving the load cells in ISO. That's not an ASTM. So the question's a good one. I would highly recommend everybody read ISO just for the annex. The sections on adapters is, is, is by far one of the only things I know out there of the, in the force world that's published that really gives you good guidance on, on designing adapters and, and fixturing to get that, that line of force the best it can be. Now, right. ASTM in this country, I think everybody should know it. If, if I had my way, I, I think the whole country should, instead of these five-point calibrations, uh, mm -hmm. five, ten-point single-ring calibrations, I think everybody should go with ASTM because it's a legal document that you can, you know, you can, you know, put out there and say, hey, we do it in accordance with this standard, this practice. It's documented. There's a committee. There's people on that committee that are really wise, really intelligent, that help get these things published. And mm -hmm. it, what that standard does is it gives you the expected performance of that device at the time of calibration. Now, if people that have heard me say this, but the, your listeners may not. So you have a standard that helps test reproducibility condition of the of the instrument test some things for you know just randomness some other things they really built a, a really nice procedure and the math in that standard is so robust that since 1974 though the standard has changed but since 1974 when it actually came out there's there's statistical data and things just aren't failing uh, when wow. people follow the standard and, and do things the way they should do them. So the, the math in there and everything else is, is something at, I think NIST has the data where like 99% confidence, but I, I have to warn people that that is at the time of calibration. Now the end, if you get the equipment wrong, you get the in equipment, I mean the adapters. If you do not replicate what that lab does, you basically derate that cal. So Morehouse does a calibration to the E74 standard or your listeners follow that standard. And then the customer uses it at a different temperature that's derating, right? right? We gave you, we're, we're giving an expected performance. The end user now has used it at a different temperature. That's gonna derate, their, their errors are gonna go up, their uncertainties are gonna get higher. Now, they send in a top adapter with the load cell, we do the cal, uh, we send it back, they use the same top adapter, vary the temperature, they have just a little bit of derating. But if they don't send that top adapter 
Ryan, and here's one of the biggest error sources. You have a load cell, uh, multi-column load cell, or co single column load cell. You have a load cell that, that has high errors due to deflection and the different hardness of what the top adapter is. And a lot of these load cells do. If you, if, if me as a calibration lab or Morehouse as a calibration lab has that load cell and we calibrate it with an adapter that might have a hardness of say 38, mm -hmm. right? And then the end user uses it with something with a hardness of say 48, right? It's going to be, the end user is going to have a lot more deflection. And we've seen errors as high as half percent on devices where the end user wants it to be no more than 0.025%. Right. So that's huge. That's a, you know, you were talking, you know, we're talking errors in, in the 20 X multiple here, just from the top adapter, but back to E74. So I'm, I'm intermixing it to your question. Yes. I think it's a, it's a great legal metrology standard. I think many people should follow it. Uh, people should join uh, the, the committees and more, more people should be out there using these standards that, that have been in existence for uh, well over 30, you know, in, in the case of E74, we're in the 37th year now. So I, right. I, I think, I think there's some good science to it. And I, I think legally, and I, I do think anybody that's in, in force in this country should know the E74 standard and anybody in, in Europe or the other countries should know, should know their, their, whatever their main standard in, is. And it's li likely ISO 376 for, right. for that group. Now, if you, if you, uh, just for fun, you know, you talk about what I've seen very commonly, which is the, you know, five point calibration and whatever, um, maybe with a extremely low force point that you can talk about. Um, what, what are the, what are the downsides to that type of calibration? What are, what are the things that you are skimping on with something like that? Uh, it's pushing all the so so that type of calibration can be useful. I don't want to say it doesn't have a purpose, but it is skimping on a lot of things, right? Your if your machine is not plumb level, square rigid, have low torsion, you're really not capturing any any essence of the reproducibility of that equipment in in your machine. Now you can get it you know, stability wise, you can get it. If somebody has that five point calibration over 10 years, you can start looking at that number, but that's a whole nother can of worms over drift. Is it adjusted? How much is it drifted? Where's the stability? You're just not getting enough really information on the reproducibility condition. It's fine. Now, if the end user gets that type of calibration, it just, they should, they should be aware that that's fine. They can save money. They can get that type of cow, but they have a lot more work to do on their end, right? So if, if, if we're just saying, hey, when we load it under these conditions, we just do these five points. Now somebody, now they have to go and they really have to do really a lot of extra testing for, you know, the reproducibility con condition. They have to probably sideload that. They have to really try to capture their measurement process and certainty in a great deal and in, in, in more detail, which... Mm -hmm. Basically, what we see uh, at the end user stage, which you know, I'm writing a paper on on this now, and it's 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 one of the, it's it's who absorbs the risk, Ryan. That's that's right. what we have to ask people: is it the Cal Lab or the end user? If you're sending your device to a Cal Lab to do a five point calibration, you're not that that lab's not going to absorb a lot of the risk. You're gonna you're gonna own the risk, 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to if you're sending it to the lab and you're going to get a full cow, everything's going to be documented. You're going to get your I's dotted, your T's crossed. You're going to say, I'm going to load it with, let's go back to fixturing. I'm going to, I'm going to send it in with the fixturing that I'm using it with. So the cow lab can replicate how it's being used, used, right? I'm going to send it in with the indicator that I'm using it with. So I don't have initial uncertainty components with that. And I'm going to send it there and I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that expected performance of that device. And I'm going to have the utmost confidence that if I replicate how, you know, that lab replicated, that reference lab replicated how I'm using the device, I'm going to have the utmost confidence in that data. Whereas that five point calibration is just not going to, it's just not going to get, it's not going to dot all the I's and cross all the T's. You're going to have to do a lot more work to ensure that you're operating within what you're claiming. Uh, as, the, as the customer of that. As the customer. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think there's a lot of customers that don't understand that, but I also think, you know, in fairness, a lot of labs don't understand that aspect of the, the passing on the risk, which is a perfect transition you know, into our, our other topic we wanted to talk about today, which is risk and measurement risk. I know I wanted to come into this um, and really talk to that beginner to intermediate person so that they can understand what risk means to us as calibrators and what we're doing to put that risk on our customers. I don't think a lot of people understand that that's what you're actually doing with some of the methods or some of the things that we're doing out in the field. We're passing on the risk to the customer. So I think a lot of people don't quite understand what risk actually means in a calibration. Do you think that's fair to say? I think that's, that's, that's really fair, fair to say. And I, I don't think as uh, OEMs understand either, uh, if that's a fairness, I don't want to, I certainly sure. don't want to attack any OEMs, out there but there's a there's a there's a saying that says achieve once never repeated right Mm -hmm. and that certainly does apply there certainly is equipment out there where people look at the wrong things right they get tied up uh ryan they get tied up on things like a specification sheet on non-linearity oh this cell the non-linearities you know 0.1 percent that's way too high well, you know what? That doesn't mean anything if if the Cal Labs using a meter that can kind of span the calibration, right? So nonlinearity mm-hmm. is how much it deviates from from the line. You're taking zero, and then you're taking capacity, and then you're taking all the points in between there and seeing how much they vary. You know, after you draw that that straight line. So if you have a meter that can segment that line, you can you can wash away that, that, that specification, you can completely wash that away. So we have to understand the ground rules of what constitutes the risk. What is, again, it's, it's, it's not only just that, it's what is the customer doing? Understanding their process and working with them because it's not, risk is not a one size fits all. Right. Right. And then we, we get into this, we get into this, you know, you know, you get into that, that leads you to decision rules. If you're, if you're going to do a tolerance uh, or, or make a statement of conformance, mm-hmm. and then you're going to have to debate, then you have to debate on what goes into the d- denominator. Are we all calculating things the same? And we're not as a community. I, I think everybody can, can agree that we're not, well, there's different rules for, we see, we've seen this on Facebook. There's, there's different rules, right? And different yeah. people are doing different things right. and, and they're quoting different standards. 
I mean, they're saying like a 500% delta between calculated uncertainties on the same processes with the same standards throughout the country. I mean, that's pretty bad. Yeah. And, and I liked uh, the, the one I, the one I've, that I've, that I've gone to recently when we're, when we're talking about risk is uh, global consumer risk. I think people start talking about risk and they don't, they don't make the differentiation between, you know, producers risk and consumers risk. Now producers risk uh, for the most part is, Hey, I, I, we we're beside a cookie factory. So I love this example, cookie factory, they don't want to undersell their 16 ounces of animal crackers, right? They have all types of fines for, for if, if the bags are short. So the way you do that is you say, hey, we'll just make sure each bag has 16 to 17 ounces of, of animal crackers in it, right? And they're effectively, they're giving away, you know, almost an ounce of animal crackers just because they don't want to be underweight. Now, if they could hone that, you know, the better they hone that in, the larger their profits and, 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 and along that. But that's almost like producers. I like that because on the producer's risk side as a Cal lab, if we're adjusting, you know, before it goes out, if we're doing all the tweaks and we're getting it in, we're getting that tolerance as tight as possible. Maybe we have to do some extra work. You know, we're not as efficient as we need to be because we need to do some extra work to get that out. So when it goes out the door, the consumer's risk is, is lessened. But the, the, the word I like, it's comes from uh, JCGM 106 is global consumer's risk, risk, which is the probability that a non-conforming item will be accepted based on a future measurement result. Hmm. So I like that because if we don't get the, if we don't handle the measurement uncertainty correctly at our level, what's that saying for not only the next level down, it's saying that every measurement in that chain, right, globally will be impacted and affected. And that's the, that's why I like this word a lot because what you do at your level, wherever you are on this measurement traceability chain or the hierarchy, wherever you are, is going to severely impact everyone down. And when I use the example of a hardened, a hardened top adapter being off a half percent, that's going to disseminate down to all industry. Anybody that's using that equipment off half percent is the next one's going to be in error at least half percent, right? And at least, mm-hmm. and you know, you know how statistics. Sometimes you'll get lucky and you won't get the full, you won't get that full error or something else will happen. But though, it's going to compound itself, and it's going right. to, it's by the time you get to the end, it's going to be a lot higher than than just what a paper number would be without the actual testing and confirmation that that should be done through PT, which would 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 close your loop. And I'm bouncing mm-hmm. around here. So, 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 so take me into it. So going back to that global consumers risk, it's just really, really important to get everything right and to get everything agreed upon with the customer at, at that level. What we do and, and, and a tip for everybody is what we do is on our POs, um, not on our POs, on our quotations, what we do is we put a, put, put a note on there that says, hey, if you don't tell us, we don't have the discussion, you don't know, by default, we're going to use method five from the ANSI C540.3 handbook. And I know a lot of people out there are going to cringe with that because that is very, very conservative. And that leads to us adjusting more on the producer side, it leads to us as a Cal lab doing more work for our customer, though on that global consumer side, it leads to less overall risk downstream 
for everyone else. So that's the approach we take. I don't, I don't think that's the right approach for everybody. That's, you know, we're, we're sure. a smaller lab. We're not, you know, we're not the, the doing, you know, millions of instruments or even hundreds of thousands of calibrations uh, a, a year. So when you're running, you know, strictly for profit, it's uh, it may be a bit different on, on their side and, and they may be bound by a, a lot more red tape to get things out the door. So they may want to pass the risk uh, to the consumer. And that's fine. I just think when we talk about risk, it's, it's as long as everyone knows the rules, they, which they do not right now. And that is our biggest problem in this industry is not everyone knows the rules. If I, if I, if I send my equipment somewhere, I very rarely see exactly what they're doing, right? As right. far as how are you calculating your TUR? ANSI Z540 Handbook 3 goes on and on on what's in the denominator of that TUR. It says you include resolution, uh, you, you include um, repeatability, you include some, uh, you know, the, the definition on the denominator there, just, it just it's just very, very robust. And then ILAC P14s talks about, you know, short-term contributors. But here, for, so... I pulled this um, and I wanted to, so for the denominator, uh, uh -huh. 95%, this is NC Z540 handbook. For the denominator, the 95% expanded uncertainty of the measurement process used for calibration following the calibration procedure is to be used to calculate TUR. And then it starts saying uh, what would be included in that estimate. Should re The value of the uncertainty estimate should reflect the results that are reasonably expected from the use of the approved procedure to calibrate the M&TE. Therefore, the estimate includes all components of error that influence the calibration measurement results, which would also include influence of the item being calibrated with the exception of the bias of the M&TV. And it goes on and on, um, you know, uh, just about what needs to be in there. But what it says specifically, uh, therefore, includes temporary non-correctable influence incurred during the calibration, such as repeatability, resolution, error in the measurement source, operator error, error and correction factors, environmental influences, et cetera. Like I said, it goes on and on. Oh, but yeah. What we see in there, and which is a debate, a lot of people is whether you include the resolution of the UUT, uh, the unit under test. That's the device that's submitted for calibration. When you're, when you're making a, a statement of risk or you're starting to look at calculating risk, like I said, there's a lot of other standards out there. But basically, you're saying, Hey, is this item good or is it bad? We're making a statement of conformance to say it passes within the specification or it does not. And when we do things like use method five, we shrink that window considerably, right? right. On on where things can pass. But what that does, as if you got if everyone can follow this, what that does is is that allows the next level down that they can have. For the most part, if, again, if they follow and do everything that they should do, as we said earlier, they should be able to repeat uh, the results of the at the time of calibration. So, what's interesting here, uh, really interesting here, is the debate on what goes in when you calculate that risk, or you know, something you know, the test uncertainty ratio. People sure. talk about is what goes in that denominator. And now, TUR does not directly relate to 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 the to the risk and and to say, but a lot of people are calculating the TUR, and that's that's the term that a lot of people know. And that definition and the definition in ILAC P14 certainly state that the resolution of the unit under test should be should be included in in that uh, in in that formula for the, the denominator. Now, 
Now, there are so many different ways to calculate risk. We don't have, you know, you had Jeff Gust on. Jeff is a great, he would be the one, he would be the one of the, uh, you know, the experts on that. He can remember, uh, he can remember who gave a presentation at NCSLI in 2003 and what topic and what exactly they said. And it's like, sure. I wish I had his knowledge. <laughs> Me so, too. Uh, <laughs> and memory. We all do. <laughs> yeah. But well, those are the, there, there are those people that are out there that, that have this just huge, uh, huge knowledge base. Scott Mims is an, is another one that I give, always give a shout out to Scott because I think he does an excellent, he he's done excellent courses on uh, risk and uh, you know, measurement risk and uses all types of different methods. Uh, and, and in, in that line, even, even like NIST, the NIST uncertainty machines doing uh, some really cool stuff with, with R and some other things, but that's, that's the, we're, now we're getting into the high level stuff. So just right. for, for the audience, just understand uh, the, the basis of this is when you have your equipment calibrated, you should have, if you're calibrating equipment, you should have the discussion with the customer of how they're using it. You should have the right appropriate fixturing. So you can, and replicate how they're using it. Uh, if you do not have that fixturing, you should report to them what you're using, you know, documentation. Uh, of course, we sell equipment for fixturing and adapters that, to improve that line of force, uh, you know, here in Morehouse, button load cells, all types of load cells. But you should use that if you replicate how they're being used, use the, use the proper adapters uh, that are going to give you this, the, the straight line of force and then have the discussion. If, if they want, if, if you're accredited, you need to have the discussion uh, with them about the decision rules and, and what, what, what is the appropriate method. Sure. And, if all that happens, now they know that customer should know exactly where they stand, right? I'm right. sending this lab is replicating the results. We've agreed on these decision rules, which is going to, which is going to be how my risk is calculated. Now I get that equipment back. I should understand it. What happens in general industry is they send, I have this part of XYZ manufacturer, right? I'm going to send it to XYZ company because their name's on it to calibrate it. They're going to get it back and continue using it. And they may not understand anything. It might, it might be a, it might be a micrometer where, uh, you know, the resolution's not taken into account. And I have yet to see, Ryan, I don't know, you, you're in a lot of companies. I have, I have yet to see a drawing come out of the, you know, engineering that says, hey, I want plus or minus five thou as my, as my tolerance. And I've yet to see the operator say, well, I have some I have some additional error from the resolution in this. I better, I better measure this part. I better reduce that tolerance to plus or minus three thousands because I have two thousands worth of, worth of uh, unaccounted for risk that I, I need to make sure. Yeah, no one's pass doing it. that. No one's doing it. Not that so, I'm seeing. So, as a listener, how comfortable are you with the lab that's doing your calibration, and how comfortable are you with your purchased products? You need to do that evaluation. Yeah, I think you're you're making some really good points, and and if we unpack some of that at the at the because that was very macro level. If we look at the micro level as a technician, uh, that answers a lot of my questions that I put out for you. And technicians that are listening, you got to really think about your part in that propagation of that worsening uncertainty as as that tree go or that triangle, you know, that pyramid of traceability goes down, you know. If you know that something, I guess the best thing to say is if you know that your processes maybe aren't the best or the way that you're hooking up for certain things, Henry's right. Maybe you should adjust what um, 
you know, maybe some of your tolerancing there or the ways that you're addressing those risk issues for particular clients. Now, I, I did have a question while you were talking about that. Sure. Say you're on site and you're doing one of those uh, measurement machines, like a tensile machine or something, or s- some sort of special rig, you know, those are always the best. If they're using something like threaded rod or something that it maybe isn't ideal, shouldn't you just use that anyway because that is how they're using it? Yeah, you want to replicate. You 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 best want to replicate the the results. So right. So probably the, the, advise the, them. Yeah, there's a huge argument here, and and it's it's one that that I've certainly struggled with. And it's, do you as a Cal Lab do you go for the best results, or do you go for replicating the process, or do you go for a mixture of both? And we've come up with a basically a mixture of both, which 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 basically looks like this. Ask the right questions, right, Ryan? What, mm-hmm. you know, do you have any adapters? How are you using this, right? And then, right. And then have those discussions on how you're using them, what you're doing. And then the second part of it is we're going to have additional fixturing that's just going to help us with alignment and centering, right? Right. So we're going to, as long as we're replicating that, then, then, then it moves to step two, which is do the best job you possibly can as a calibration provider. And, and, and make the, and, and this is where you struggle because you make the assumption that the end user then is going to take the nth degree of time to align, you know, their load cell in that tensile machine. Some will and some won't, but the ones that will, we're best, you know, we're suiting them a bit better uh, than the ones that won't. So if we didn't do that, a lot of these errors or uncertainties would, would get astronomically high and people would not be happy. So do you, you know, do you kind of, you know, take away from those that are doing the right job to give them like, here's a, here's a really, really high uncertainty. Yeah. And, and our attitude is no, our attitude is you ask the right questions, use the right adapters to align it. And then hopefully they do the, they do the same thing, but you, you have to check off those, you have to check off those adapters at, at some point. Now, if you're following ISO 376, I mean, like I said, the recommendation is in there. Most lab, they give you that annex guidelines. Most labs are, they can freely send stuff, you know, cause we're, we're all, we're all following the same rules for compression. Right. We're, we're doing this for tension, you know, two ball nuts, two ball cups, and we're, we're all doing, making adapters and it's standardizing things. What I can say for people out there, if they're, if they have large, uh, large batches of equipment is, I am very envious of you because right now with large batches of equipment, you can standardize your whole process. You can get everything under control by buying the same thing and writing the same procedures and writing the same rules so that everybody anywhere in the world, if you're a huge, huge corporation, you know they're going to do the same thing. You know you send a dynamometer here, you're going to get the same result as you send it there because they're going to all use the same pin size. That's, we started, you started with a Chatillion uh, S-beam, but yeah, load pins, for instance, like traction, uh, we have dynamometers, we have other ones, we have uh, something that's called tension links. A tension link, the pin size is critical. We've seen errors, yes. you know, um, again, you've seen 1% errors on a 0.1% device just from using the wrong pin size. This stuff needs to be standardized. And and what makes it worse is uh, they they usually use cast cast iron um, uh, shackle uh, cast iron pins and then shackles and over time that cast wears so as right. you wear 
things, uh, the errors get higher, you know, when you have worn surfaces. So you, you really need to do a lot of a lot of checks along the way. And this is this is where we get into control charting, you know, uh, statistical process control SBC, which I highly recommend to anybody out there. Jeff was on talking about fluke and and how much they do. And I, I can't, you know, they're doing it all the time. I, they're just awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, I mean that they're the nth degree, right? That may not right. be for when he everybody. was talking that about that stuff. That was nuts. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to see how it. But that may not be needed for everybody. I mean, flukes at a super sure. super high level. But but people should be checking instead of just saying, "Hey, I'm going to do either check or shorten your cow interval." And usually the boss doesn't like to shorten the cow interval because that's more money going to another company. But right. either way, it's going to cost to to start running uh, statistical process control. But that's going to that is going to l- decrease your risk exponentially right because Mm -hmm. now you're monitoring and you know if something goes wrong you can catch it quickly and if i'm running control charts i can go back and say i have bad data and i'm taking points every you know two weeks i can go back and say i I just got bad data all i have to really worry about after i figure out what's going on is this week and a half and it could just be the it could just be you got bad data because you just an operator didn't do something right. And then they had an, Oh, Oh, you know, a, a, a dull, you know, the Homer Simpson moment. And then they go back and do things <laughs> right. And it all, it all, it all comes into, into place. Um, so yeah, that's, but you can really reduce your risk by doing control charts. Just, just, you know, where you're not looking at huge recalls. You're not, you're just looking at, you know, maybe a week, uh, two weeks, a month of, 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 of things, because chances are it didn't go when the first time you noticed that it went out, it may, you know, you can only go back to the last time you had a check. And if that's a calibration that was done two years ago, that is going to be one very, very painful experience. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of what you're mentioning and you're and you're saying, you know, it, there is extra time to it, even on where you said that you go with decision rule number five and how that can take more time. I think yeah, just because adjust, just because of the adjustment. But right. But well, I wanted to kind of cover that um, just so a technician would understand, you know, those adjustments, sometimes doing those extra adjustments, especially for, you know, I always think of the manufacturing companies or the large companies that have internal Cal labs and you're calibrating something for that lab, you know, and, and you're coming in there and, trying to make you know make sure that the the processes or what you give them the data that you give them is is proper you know making sure that all of those things that you're talking about the adapters and the alignment of everything i don't think a lot of technicians know that they need to be constantly aware of the processes that they're calibrating and that there is a constant need to evaluate if you are giving them the data, uh, the pr- appropriate data. I guess what I'm trying to say is that false pass, the false fail, the stuff that, oh yeah, it, you know, people that aren't paying attention be- because they're used to this this specification of the standard that they're using. They aren't thinking real time of the things around them and what they're doing and how they're throwing it out for that customer and their needs. You know, because uh, I I was talking to someone the other day. They were talking about um, autoclaves. And how oh, a lot yeah. of those a lot of those temperatures have to be within half a degree, you know, to make sure to kill the pathogens and the the, you know, the things that can kill people, you know, with surgical equipment or whatever. You know, if you're going out there and you're not using things properly, you could eat up that half degree tolerance before you even start. And oh, you know, yeah. force force is one where I see 
the most errors and things like that. And it all comes back to what you were saying, adapters and alignment. Yeah, it's mechanical. So anything you do, right? Anything you do, it's 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 very much mechanical. Anything you do is going to impact that. You're using a, a, a strain gauge. You're, you're putting something on metal uh, that's going to, you know, basically, and you're going to deform that measure metal and you're going to try to try to measure that uh, deformation, right, with a, mm-hmm. with a strain gauge. So if I put it, if I try to deform something coming from the side versus going straight down, I'm going to get different results. If something's harder, you know, it's going to de- cause more deflection than if it's softer. And you're dealing with that. If I have a wide pin, you know, that strain, the way those uh, tension links are strain gauge, they're strain gauge on the side. So if I have a small pin, I'm going to, I'm going to potentially not elongate the device as much as if I engage more of that area, right? I engage more of that area, a uh, bigger pin, I'm going to get more deflection. So that's what you're effectively seeing on all these devices. It's not the device's fault. I mean, it's a very mechanical process. So is torque. It's just a, it's just very mechanical in, in nature. It's just getting everything down. It's uh, kind of going into my non-knowledge uh, field here, uh, Ryan, it's uh, that I know you have a lot of knowledge on, on, on pressure. There's right. an argument on, you know, floating the piston and, you know, a lot of labs see piston, see that, that, uh, that ball come in dirty as can be, and their procedure is to clean it before calibration. Now <laughs> you want to open that can of worms? Yeah. Where's your ass found? <laughs> <laughs> is yeah, that what you mean? Has found if the procedures, yeah, we, yeah. If you're, it, it was sent in all dirty and mucked up, right? And they know they're not going to get the right result if they calibrate it as they found it. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. Getting that as found is always important because when when you talk about um, the pins and yeah. the things like those uh, tension links or whatever, you know, that was something that I was never taught when I started. But I had to figure it out on my own. And, you know, that's kind of the thing that I want to prevent with the training that that we're that we're all doing, that we're all partnered in and making sure because I think the bottom line is a lot of this stuff is definitely prevalent issues. I think it's something that uh, I'm glad someone like you is is on top of it and, and can speak so well about it all and and get the information out there. But it's it's getting everyone on the same page, like you said, and making sure I think if we got everybody on the same page from the get-go, it would help out a lot of these these things. Because technicians don't know that they, I don't think they know that they have the ability to, you know, mention some of these issues. They just kind of go along with it. Yeah, it's a big problem with, it's a big problem the whole way around. It, and you know it, I know it. It's just, we we need to get, as an industry Education needs to be better. I'm, and you know, I'm, I'm so thankful that sign exists uh, for that and, and for this, this relationship, because we can get this out there in the end. Right. right you, you, I think I said the last time, but in the end, you go to work, you go to work, you, you show up, you want to do a good job. Uh, most people don't come in and say, Oh, let me, let me calibrate, you know, 10 items today. And I, I'd rather not be sure if any of them are good or not, because I don't know what my adapters are, but uh, it pays the bills. You know, I think most right. people want to show up for work and say like, I want to make sure I'm making a positive contribution uh, to society. And those 10 items I calibrate, I want the, I want that end user to have the utmost confidence that the numbers that I gave them uh, are, are something that they can replicate and use. Cause if, right. you know, if you don't ever waste some money, Really, well, I've I've I mean, seen tech, I've seen the new guys that come in and all everything that they do is out of tolerance and they can't figure out why, 
you know, it, it oh, could yeah. also solve those problems. You know, you're, you're always seeing the same problem. You know, Joseph talks about it in the course that typically is a systematic error and a problem with something you're doing, not necessarily, you know, the load cell in general. Oh, love this because this is where this is where those gauge R and R comes in, right? You start doing uh, the more higher level uh, ANOVA ana analysis of variance between between operators, and you start right. getting into this this discussion on you know more into like a measurement process uncertainty and stuff. But yeah, if you have six techs, it's awesome to compare. You should be comparing them against one another, right? Give them the same instrument, have them all calibrated, and see what see what the difference is. Now the now the the hard part on all this is where, when you start analyzing data, is it the technician or is it the uh, equipment? I've had I've had technicians fail uh, because of because the procedure wasn't robust. And a, and a good example is is you know we're making measurements to twenty parts per million with our dead weight frames for force. That's that's really really low numbers. So mm -hmm. when we say hey hey tech one calibrate this load cell tech two calibrate this load cell by the time tech three calibrated that load cell on the same day they failed because you're warming it up the equipment mm -hmm. right? right now you're using it it's it's been on it's been under you know 10 volts dc excitation and it's been that material's been flexed now you know how many times because you're on the third calibration so what we ended up I had a lot of technicians failing because then I was like, well, it, this can't be, you know, it can't be. So what we ended up doing is, is, is going back to the procedure. So data showed technicians failed. You watch the technicians. They all look like they know what they're doing. So now you go, you know, is it the tech or the instrument? This was obviously, uh, this was instrument. And how do you solve instrument? You write the procedure around it. So our new procedure is power up the equipment. Technician one goes in the morning. And now they power it down. Technician two can go in the afternoon. Technician three goes the following morning after it's powered down and warmed up for 20 minutes. They power it down. Technician four goes in the afternoon. That's how we got them all to pass. But if we ran six technicians in one day, one after the other, by the end of the day, that, that piece of equipment is going to have an entirely different output than at the beginning of the day, just because of just because of use. Yeah. You know, you, you really made me realize something, you know, in talking with you, talking with Jeff Gust, you know, we're talking about manufacturers of standards, but also primary labs. And, you know, as a listener, you, you really have to listen to what these guys are saying and how much time they spend getting data on their own selves and their own processes and diving into how, how to get better as a, a lab. I know a ton of labs and of course we don't name anybody but it just there's a lot listening that they just go on with their day-to-day -day and they could not even have training in an entire month let alone a half year to a year you know and those are things that i would like to put out there for people to just slow down on some of that and make sure to get out there and look at your processes do that data analysis look at how the things that the places like morehouse and the places like fluke are taking the time to make sure that they're getting that product out there. Yeah. And and if you do it right, you're going to be you're going to be more profitable. So the people that are listening, if they're if there's a manager out there, a Calab manager going to their boss, you know, a trained technician is a lot better than one that doesn't know what they're doing because you're going to not only you're going to sink your reputation if you're inconsistent with your with your measurements, right? Yeah. I mean, that's eventually companies are going to pick up on it and say, why is this inconsistent? We fight that a lot. 
right. you know, when we have something come in, that's bad, it, it, the troubleshooting is, is really like a, a, a time suck. Right. And mm-hmm. it's sometimes it is the OEMs, right? Cause the OEM sold something that's really, you're going back and it's not achievable or the right. end user bought it on a specification like nonlinearity that has nothing to do with the way it's being calibrated, you know, right now for and the issues with this the other equipment. Uh, a lot of end users, uh, you, you mentioned, so I'll, I'll pick on Fluke, not picking on them, but Fluke's all, you know, a lot of the, uh, in, in, in that type of manufacturer of, you know, the electronic equipment, a lot of them have stability data that's awesome. We don't see that in force, right? So what sure. people buy, they buy, they buy based on a specification and very rarely do they know how stable that item is. So they buy it year one, you adjust it, it comes in. Year two, it comes back in for calibration and it's drifted out of spec. Now they could have, they could have, it could be material, it could be used. You know, you know what I mean, Ryan? Mm-hmm. It's just, sure. it just, there's lots of things that it could be, but they don't realize that that is such an important part of their overall uncertainty when we're starting starting to talk about it that they're claiming a device is good to 0.1% on or on their scope there you look at the scope they said 0.1% we see the instrumentation and it's 0.2% and we adjust it back to an accuracy of 0.1 or better you know so it comes in out of tolerance it goes back and they never account for that drift that's another major problem oh, man yeah uh, it's a huge problem in industry and uh, you know a lot like i said a lot of these guys like flu they, they've 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 they have it i'm i'm not picking on them they they're just awesome that they have like you know the this the one year spec the 90 day spec i love right. seeing yeah. yeah i love seeing those uh, specifications. And then you can work as, as an end user, you know what your spec is. You can say, Hey, I need to maintain this. This, this equipment needs to go back or I need to be running some really robust process controls to, to, to ensure that I don't drift out if this is what I'm, this is what I'm maintaining. So right. just really cool that they have it. Unfortunately, our world, I would love to have it with our equipment, but our world is, it's just a use, it's very mechanical and there's, there's use cases, there's different indica- indicators. You have a whole system is the indicator drifting is the load cell drifting is the tension link drifting. Uh, what about where patterns are they developing? You have all this other stuff. So, so doing a predictive model is, is very difficult unless sure. again, unless you can run your own, unless you're running all of the same type of equipment or you can buy all of the same type of equipment up front, like, uh, like something like the, some of the, uh, armed forces would, would do, they can stand, you, you, you come from that. They could standardize yeah. everything sure. if they wanted to. I was just thinking as we're talking about all these, these things, some of my own experiences, you know, so if you're taking a load cell and you're calibrating it and you know you you know there's something wrong with that first run you, you go into that second run you know or for whatever reason you have to repeat a few times how many times can you reliable re- reliably repeat measurements without it warming up too much to where you're completely changing the reading don't it's that's that's very load cell specific so okay i, I often question question this because we get those little button load cells that i, I believe we we talked about we have adapters yeah. for them correct we, we talked about. and they are so tiny less material 10 volts excitation some of them get almost to the point where they'll singe your fingers when you pick them up if you leave them you know on wow. too long so I mean, they they get very very hot. So so in something like that, it's obviously going to be less 
less time that you you may have or maybe you have more time maybe maybe you should get it to you know super hot the general rule of thumb for electronics is is 20 to 30 minutes warm up uh for load cells right you know i, I you know we usually warm it up 20 minutes and then you know, sit it off to the side, warm up 20 minutes and then start everything, start fixturing it up, start exercise. By that time, it's 30 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there are, there are a lot of times where you need an extra exercise. It just depends on the material, the gauging and everything else. So it's very, it's a great question. It's just, it's just going to be, it's going to be instrument specific. Uh, well, does it go back to the, my other question or my other comment about labs should be running data on some of this stuff, maybe taking a look at oh, yeah. their stuff and, 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 I don't know, getting a, an average of those readings or something like that. See when they start to really drift. Is that what you would recommend? Uh, yeah, for the most, for the most part, you know, when, when I'm, when we, we got to differentiate this here a little bit, when I'm talking sure. about our technicians failing, a failing because we did one after the other, mm -hmm. uh, a test one after the other, that's because we're looking for agreement within point zero point zero zero one six percent Right. Right. So, so we're looking at such a small magnitude that that's going to fail, that they're going to fail if we leave it on all day, if they do 30. Now, now look, a load cells out in the field. If people are claiming that type of uncertainty on a load cell, uh, the auditor should just go in there and, and, uh, and, and go to town because it's just not going it, to, it, it's not going to happen Cons on a consistent basis. You're not going to have a load cell that's, you know, 20 parts per good to uh, 16 parts per million or the 0 0.0016. You may get it where at capacity where you have all this deflection, you know, if you have a million counts, 400,000, you may get it uh, there if it's, if it's designed right and, and, and repeatable though, at the end of the day, when you're running all these tests, you're not going to maintain it. So gotcha. very different, very differences. I love the question, just differences in what we're talking about. So when I'm talking about, you know, if a lab's claiming, you know, running a load cell all day and their, and their budget is, is maybe let's just use a number, let's say, Oh, 4%, their budget's Oh, 4%, probably they should, they should test it. They certainly should test that load cell. They should come up with a, a, a way to capture their process uncertainty, you know, between different technicians. I doubt it's going to show up in, in the data set like it does for us because we're, we're amplifying that, you know, uh, 20, over 20 times. We're looking at, at a magnitude of, of 20 times, you know, more than 20 times greater than that. So sure. it's... You got to be careful when when I when I talk. I, I it's good 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 here. Ryan. I needed to recalibrate myself, right? Because because the, yeah, when we're talking the nth degree, all these little tiny things matter. So for yeah. for for the listener, yes, hardness of an adapter at a half percent error. If you're claiming 04, that's gonna it's that's you know it's over ten times the error. That's gonna matter. Right, but, huge. But but but. Physically, like what I was saying on using that load cell all day and you're claiming 04, you're probably not going to fail, right? It's gotcha. probably adding uh, like a tenth of that to, to, to your overall, right? It's mm -hmm. probably adding something like 0.004, like be, at the beginning of the day to the end of the day, the change is probably in the magnitude of like 0.004%, gotcha. right? Enough for us to fail because it's, you know, over double what we're claiming, but right? not enough for somebody to fail that's that's claiming the the well I'm, the, I'm glad you you uh you mentioned that and you clarified that because luckily when you come on i'm also i'm, I'm not a pro at, at force 
So sometimes I'm asking you questions for myself as well, because some of these things, you know, like I said, there hasn't been a really good pipeline for people to learn for us up to this point, at least that I that I've been through or, or seen. So it's it's very nice to get a chance to get clarification on some of that stuff. There will be because sign is sign is you know we're working together well, up with to sign now. and yes. and, <laughs> and there will be that pipeline's being is being pipeline's built. here. It's it's not been it's not been halted. That's <laughs> we're, right. We're we're not in any any any. Uh, and I don't want to go there. So that's like, but I'm just, just that yeah. was just a, a no. A, it's a good point. It's just a, a a vacant joke there. It's that pipeline is is being built, and we're going to continue to to build that and flush this stuff out. We have grand plans to you know show vi- you know do some short videos and do some other things that a tech can go on. You know their time is valuable, but right. uh, you know if you can ha- if you can shoot a four or five minute vi- video on a on a setup or or something that they can they can go back and say, hey, we should be doing this right. Right. And then the end, you not only you know what this does is a standard. It helps standard things more across the industry because if we're having the discussions if if the calibration techs talking to management management's buying the right equipment and adapters then they're talking to their customer now all of a sudden we've established where i said i was jealous of at the beginning we've established this organizational and and consistency more consistency right throughout all the labs that are making force measurement and we're going to get better results and they're going to agree with one another and not to not to say that everything's going to be perfect and we're going to be in a utopia but it's going to be much much better than it is today correct and those discussions need to happen uh people need to understand not only they need to understand risk and as far as understanding risk uh they need to understand these three things they need to know what the requirements are right uh they need to know what's what's actually needed uh, for them to accomplish the task, which which might may be ignoring some things on a spec sheet if you have that meter that can span calibration. Maybe sure. it's doing the E74 calibration uh, so that you have that legal tra- legal uh, you know that legal ground to stand on. They're mm-hmm. going to also not only the right requirements, they're going to need to choose the right equipment. You know, they, you know, talk talk to um, talk to management. If you buy the cheapest equipment you're probably going to pay a lot more for calibration in the long run because you're going to have shorter cal intervals, right? Your right. drift, if you're doing, every, if we're looking at all the, all the right things, looking at that drift, the change from one calibration to the next, everything else, you're, that cheap equipment's going to more than likely force, make that uncertainty larger and force you to condense your interval. And when you do that, it's going to cost you more and it's not going to benefit your customer because you're going to send that, we're going to go back to that global consumer's risk where you're going to start impacting things down the chain if if you're not doing things right. And even if you are doing things right, you're going to have larger uncertainties to deal with. And then it's going to be looking at the right processes, which we touched on, you know, with that, uh, some of the R&R stuff. Right. So, um, you know, and training, you know, train your techs, invest in people. I mean, that's a lot of the stuff we read, you know, uh, we've been on LinkedIn, people with Simon Sinek, Infinite Game. There's there's a lot of a lot of great uh, literature out there that that just talks in in, in investing in in people. And, and that is your greatest a- asset. We're long. The, the Jack Welsh days are, are long gone. Right. You know, the average business that started in the uh, 60s lasted, you know, 50, 50 plus years right? Was mm-hmm. the average lifespan of business. I think it was, uh, yeah, it was 50 plus years. Now the average lifespan of a business is 17 years. 
Wow. Right. And so you, you really need to invest, uh, do your research. I, I consider this like a three-legged stool, right? If right. you get the, if you know the right requirements, the right equipment and have the right processes and you, and you do this, you dot all your I's, cross all your T's, uh, you're going to be in a better starting position. And that includes, like I said, that right, you're getting into adapters, you're getting into everything that we talked about here, but that's, that's really the, the basis for, for running uh, a calibration lab or that, or, or in any discipline, I think universally right. that can be applied to all, all calibration disciplines. For sure. I mean, they, I think people need to take the time, labs need to take the time to, to get their technicians some periodical training as well as that background training to get everything, you know, to get everybody on the same page. Let's let's take that as a, a good point to, in this last five, 10 minutes, you want to talk about the training that you have coming up? Yeah, so um, we have NCSLI, great organization. They have uh, a half-day training uh, where we're doing a introduction to force it's a bit more advanced than what i'm going to talk about next uh though it's a four-hour short course on force calibration where we hit all the topics that were discussed today uh provide examples of measurement errors and that course is on february 17th you can register at ncsli.com i believe that's a wednesday afternoon uh from 12 to 4 our time eastern standard so uh yeah uh, just if, if, if anybody has interest, the, the money, money for that, that is a course that, that they do charge for. The money does not go to, to Morehouse. It goes to NCSLI so they can promote. Oh, they're .org. Yeah, they're, they're .org so they can, they can, you know, continue to run their organization, which we need more of. You know, there it's probably one of the better organizations that we that we have out now that in measurement science conference. If there's other ones out there that are listening that I didn't say, I, you know, I apologize. It's those two seem to be the biggest ones that that just are for metrology right now. Of course, you have ASQ and American Science View for quality and all the other ones. But but really, right, Ryan, do you know any, yeah. any other ones you want to get no, out there? But if, if people know some reach out to us, we'll we'll make sure to let others know we we want to promote everything training. So you know for sure if if people have and that goes for everyone listening if you have training that you have coming up go ahead and contact us and if we can't get you on the podcast we can at least advertise it for you yeah because it's that's you know knowledge is power right going back to going back to being a kid before school and watching gi joe (laughs) (laughs) go joe (laughs) yeah there you go and uh so that's the ncsli one and we have free ones coming up uh if you're if if you're not following us on uh linkedin or facebook uh morehouse instrument company we have the advertisements for the upcoming training those those dates are february 23rd is part one for just an introduction it's a basic course if you you can use some refresher it talks about you know uh, traceability talks about uncertainty. Uh, we, we broached the topic, you know, accuracy versus uncertainty. Cause I think a lot of people, you know, mistake those two terms. And then we have part two coming up. That's on February 23rd. And on the 23rd, we're going to deal, we're going to deal more with, uh, some force measurement errors and we're going to deal more with, uh, risk, uh, and, and what, what that means. Uh, we go into a lot more detail on the, you know, the right process, uh, the, the right requirements, right process and, and right procedures right uh, and we show examples of you know when bad things happen bridges collapse and and, and whatnot uh, uh because because of this um you know as we're speaking uh, ryan you know henry, henry 
Petrosky wrote about, uh, you know, periods of prolonged success and people become complacent. Mm -hmm. And I really think as a community right now, a lot of us are, are complacent in regards to some of some of the stuff that's that's going on. And uh, I applaud sign. I applaud this uh, podcast and I applaud everybody that's out there just just trying to get people thinking about the right things and to get out of the complacency and and start doing start being proactive. Uh, because that proactivity most likely is going to allow your business to run the longer than 17 years, especially if you're uh, a startup and, and, and invest in your for people, sure. training and equipment. Yeah, for sure. And, and thank you, Henry. And we definitely appreciate having you on board. You know, I don't think anybody knows uh, when I first contacted Henry, when we didn't even have a school yet or anything, he was right on board. I mean, training is is right down Henry's uh right down Henry's road. And he's all about making sure that people are making people and labs are making better force measurements. So I think the, you know, the appreciation goes back towards you as well, Henry. I certainly appreciate, I appreciate anyone that'll listen. So hopefully we'll get, uh, we'll get uh, <laughs> the, the, the numbers will, will bump up more people will listen and, and people will get a takeaway. Uh, I mean, That's there's right. lots of, lots of good stuff. Um, lots of yeah, good and, stuff to talk and, about. And Henry should be a regular on the podcast. So if you guys have more force questions, definitely hit us up. You can you can email us at information at sciencalibration.com and we'll definitely bring those topics up in future podcasts with Henry. Or they can also reach out to you, correct, Henry? Yeah, they can reach out to me uh, via LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever your preferred contact method is, phone. Uh, not fax so much anymore, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, <laughs> but I wouldn't answer a fax, <laughs> but preferred contact. If it's, if it's email, if it's phone, wh whatever, whatever people are, you know, most comfortable with, I'll get email message or I'll, I'll get LinkedIn messages from, from some contacts. Now I'm not on there every day. So, uh, right. I do check it. I have it on my phone and I, and I try to check, but, but those go a little bit longer, but emails, you know, H Sunbrun at MH force emails are good. If you have just overall questions for our team or, you know, adapters or need to help help finding something uh that's info at mh force so yeah i can't thank the, the the listeners enough you know everybody's time is valuable here hopefully that there's takeaways that they've learned something and as ryan said there's there's other plans we were we we didn't have time to discuss it so maybe that's a, a precursor for next time ryan you know right. discussing like point of use tips to save time lean mm -hmm. for the cal lab some of the other things uh like our team right now they're getting ready to do a 5s blitz next week yeah. And that's uh, that's uh, more on the organizational side. But there's there's definitely payback if you're you know, if if you're paying a technician to go hunt for a wrench because you're too uh, cheap to buy another ten dollar wrench, you're probably losing lots of money with that tech. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if there's oh, yeah. If they're searching for that wrench once a week at uh, at, uh, say, 20 minutes a shot uh, over the course of a year. <laughs> yeah, it, people that know me know I buy my own tools just because of that happening at places, you know, not being provided with the proper the proper stuff. So I would always buy my own stuff. Or if I find things that I really, really like, but they're a little bit pricier that, uh, you know, some places won't won't purchase, you know. Same with adapters. You buy good. You buy a good for. You buy a good adapter set for force. They have it. You know what your techs are using. You can point back to it. You say, "Yep, they calibrated this uh, this tension link with this uh, one. Uh, this they calibrated this tension link with a fifty millimeter pin, and exactly. you can come back to it. And if the customer says, "I don't agree with your results," you can go. You can go back to them and you say, "What What are you doing? 
you know, we had this discussion. You told us to use the the recommended pin per the manufacturer. We did that. What it, can I ask what you're doing? And then they come back and say, oh yeah, we're using a one and a half inch pin and not a 50 millimeter. And then you're like, right there it is. Right there's yep. the difference. Boom. Boom. Real easy. Well, good stuff, Henry. I, I think I think that's probably that's probably it for today. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to part with? No, I think we we said everything. Just those those training dates with NCSLI, February seventeenth, uh, noon to four Eastern Standard, and then the other two dates uh, that we have free training from Morehouse are February twenty third, March second. And I would just urge everybody if if you want, uh, I made mention to it the Back to Basics series where it's just a, a, mm-hmm. an article every two weeks to subscribe or, or like us on link, follow us on LinkedIn, uh, so you can see those as they come out. They're quick reads, like five minute reads a piece but yeah uh, i saw one the other day right you just released one yeah we just released uh mm-hmm. yeah the the first one the other day and we have we have we have a series of 10 uh the whole the whole series is 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 written and there's 10 of them some are longer than others but but for the most part you know five a quick five minute read just to you know get some of the some of the basics down you know we started with uh uh, force and why it's important. I think the next one we go to into uh, what is a transducer. You know, we we talked mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, brief today, but you know, transducer is something that converts one type of energy into into another. And, and as Ryan, you know, as we talked about, as you warm that, as you warm that instrument or load cell up, yeah, that the the energy that's uh, converted could be could be uh, you know the deflection. If it's more warm, it may deflect. Uh, it may deflect less. So. Right. All right. Well, Henry, thank you once again for coming on and we'll talk to you the next time. Thank you. Thank you for everyone that's listening. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. You can reach us at information at signcalibration.com with any comments, suggestions, or if you want to be a guest or advertise on our show. 